Welcome to the Shazam Cast, Earth's mightiest Captain Marvel podcast. I'm your host, Jeff. I want to start off by freely acknowledging that One Republic has thoroughly admonished me that it is too late to apologize. But nonetheless, let me express apologies for missing last episode's stated date of release for this episode. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but a tech problem spiraled way out of control and was followed immediately by personal and professional demands that, in the end, took approximately an ice age to resolve. So hear me say that I'm sorry to each one of you who took the time to read the issue we're covering in this episode and found out that I hadn't shown up to hold up my end of the bargain. Now with that said, let's jump in on what we came here for. On this episode, we'll be taking a look at Make Way for Captain Thunder from June 1974's Superman number 276. The cover artist is the great Nick Carty, pioneer on Teen Titans and Aquaman. It's written by Elliot S. Magan. Pencilers Kurt Swan, the inkers, and the inkers Bob Oxner. It's a really wonderful cover. Uh, Superman flying face first into uh, Captain Thunder who appears to be screaming a battle cry at him. <laughs> I just love that. The blurb on the cover, uh, the fight to decide the superhero championship of the world basically means this issue is a pro wrestling event. Totally in on that. Our issue opens with a bright light appearing in a metropolis alleyway, resolving to a young boy who appears, in the eyes of the knowledgeable reader, to be Billy Batson. The caption, however, tells us that this is Willie Fawcett, and he's a boy who just became a stranger in a strange land. The scene shifts quickly to a flyby of Superman, which Fawcett gapes at, open-mouthed. Fawcett exclaims, Creepies, which is apparently this character's version of Billy Batson's Holy Moly. A nearby vagrant, surprised by the boy's reaction, informs Willie that this flying character is named Superman. Being a very helpful vagrant, He also points Willie to the appropriate bus to take in order to reach the boy's desired destination of 51st Street in Governor's Plaza. Before I go any further, is it interesting to anyone other than me how at the very beginning Metropolis is presented in this issue? 
The text describes Fawcett's appearance as taking place in a dingy metropolis alleyway and Superman flying above decaying city streets. This, combined with the immediate arrival of a bum shambling down a litter-strewn street, makes it clear this metropolis is no shining city of tomorrow, but rather much more like a slum. Also, why does Willie immediately start up conversation with the bum? It seems that this character, regardless of what universe he comes from, is required to be introduced through an opening scene of children interacting with street people presented visually as potentially dangerous. I wonder, in fact, if this is Maggin's tongue-in-cheek commentary on the Captain Marvel origin story. So back in the story, we learn quickly that Willie is clearly out of step with his time and place. He expects a much lower bus fare than is required. Furthermore, in the helpful exposition that no one has or will ever actually say in real life, two generic young people standing near Fawcett describe his haircut as 20 years behind the times. This results in a precocious Fawcett concluding that he may just have gone into the future. Rather than panicking, he decides to enter the Galaxy Communications building to see if anyone there knows what happened to Wham! TV, which is obviously his version of Whiz Radio. This plan is interrupted by another sighting of Superman flying through the air, this time chasing a giant translucent lizard. We're given access to Superman's thoughts, which inform us that he has concluded this phenomenon is a mere distraction. Sure enough, a criminal act is being at that very moment attempted against an armored car. Seeing this trouble, Willie decides it is time for him to join the action. Thus, he rubs his magic buckle, says Thunder, and shaboom! Captain Thunder appears, visually identical to Captain Marvel, but with what I guess is a sunburst pattern on his chest and a lightning bolt belt buckle. One of the crooks, robbing the armored car, catches sight of Captain Thunder's airborne form and concludes that Superman is rapidly heading their way. When Thunder descends, one of the other thieves, expecting Superman, but seeing Captain Thunder exclaims, That's not Superman, just some cheap imitation. At this point, while reading this story, I also exclaimed, How dare you? In a shocking turn of events, Captain Thunder In a shocking turn of events, Captain Thunder throws in with the crooks and aids them in their robbery. Meanwhile, Superman about has the lizard situation wrapped up so he can get to the actual crime. Now, can I ask this real quick? How do these robbers have the ability to create flying illusion lizards? And considering that they do, isn't there a more profitable application of this technology than the gains they would get from robbing an armored car? One that hopefully doesn't involve the risk of being shot? I'm confused if these robbers are incredibly brilliant and on the verge of an espionage and entertainment breakthrough or morons who don't realize they have a legal means to basically print money. But enough with that. Superman and Captain Thunder are about to fight. Superman quickly tracks down the fleeing bandits and engages, getting a kick from Captain Thunder for his troubles. Thunder is surprised that Superman is still awake and Superman in a moment of real sterling character, makes a fat joke at Thunder's expense. Again, I say, how dare you? 
The two Titans trade blows before Thunder weaponizes the armored car he's carrying. While Superman is distracted, Thunder says the magic word, changes back to Fawcett, and hides out while Superman wonders where Captain Thunder disappeared to. Interestingly, Willie Fawcett, standing street side watching the Man of Steel land, can't remember how he got there. Willie decides to try to get Superman's help and heads off to the Galaxy Communications building again where, upon entering, he finds Clark Kent hard at work. Fawcett asks Kent for help contacting Superman about Captain Thunder's dilemma. Fawcett confesses to Kent that he and Captain Thunder are the same person before launching into his origin story. His tale begins at an orphan summer camp where a restless Willie Fawcett sits outside of a tent waiting for something to happen. Willie hears, then sees a hoot owl, and somehow the boy discerns that the owl wants him to follow it, and Willie, apparently lacking all natural fear of the forest at night, takes off after the owl. The owl leads Willie into a cave, and I'm going to stop right there to note this. As ridiculous as it sounds, having a hoot owl guide Willie into a cave is a vast improvement on having a stranger lure a street orphan into an increasingly isolated and confined enclosure. So this story has that going for it. Now, back to Willie. Inside the cave, he finds something fantastic. A dated Native American stereotype. The stereotype has a name, Maroki, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, who is the last of the great medicine men of the Mohegan tribe. Maroki informs Willie that ancient tribal legend foretold of a boy, noble in spirit, who would be invested with great powers. Apparently that boy would be Caucasian and named Willie Fawcett because Fawcett is given a magical belt that conveys seven spiritual powers. From the tornado, power. From the hare, speed. From Uncas, bravery. From nature, wisdom. From diamond, toughness. From eagle, flight. And from ram, tenacity. Upon rubbing the belt buckle and saying the magical anagram thunder, Billy would be transformed into Captain Thunder. After Willie does just that, and being so transformed, Maroki departs the cave and this mortal coil, leaving Thunder to battle evil and injustice. From there, in Willie's telling, we get a quick retrospective on Captain Thunder's crime-fighting career. We see him thwarting bank robbers, breaking in on a character quite clearly meant to be Dr. Savannah, and safely carrying a steamship through a rough ocean passage. We're also shown a more specific set of no-gooders that are central to our story. These baddies are immediately recognizable. Frankenstein's monster, the mummy, Dracula, and the wolfman. Basically, Captain Thunder is pictured here fighting the universal monsters, but he knows them as the Monster League of Evil, which sounds familiar for some reason. Quick digression again. I now want nothing more than a Captain Marvel vs. the Universal Monsters miniseries. Can we start crowdfunding this project right now? If so, let's make Doc Shaner an offer he can't refuse. Anyway, after their last defeat, Willie informs Kent that the Monster League intimated that they had lost the battle, but nonetheless won a victory against their nemesis, Captain Thunder. 
Willie speculates that these monsters had altered the Captain Thunder persona to do evil rather than fight it. And soon those suspicions are confirmed when, after concluding Fawcett's tale, Superman, while thwarting a prison breakout, is attacked yet again by Captain Thunder. While responding to Superman's question about where he came from, Thunder calls Willie his, quote, dumb little alter ego. Captain Thunder, how dare you? Superman and Thunder's battle soon takes to the skies and the mountain ranges, with neither combatant able to gain an upper hand. Two things to note. During the battle, Thunder makes a reference to being Earth's mightiest mortal. Also, Thunder calls Superman the big blue cheese, to which all the Superman fans say, How dare you? I'm not going to describe the full fight scene, but it's pretty cool and worth checking out if you haven't read the issue. Also, if you like animated stuff, the fight scene in this issue is really reminiscent of the Captain Marvel appearance in 2009's Superman-Batman Public Enemies movie, which also is very much worth checking out. Eventually, in a trope usually reserved for Black Adam fights, Superman tricks Captain Thunder into saying his magic word. What is new is perhaps the most ridiculous interaction I have seen thus far between these two characters, or their close approximations. Superman makes Captain Thunder transform back to Fawcett, as we just mentioned, then informs the boy that he intends to use a super full Nelson to free Captain Thunder from the influence of evil. And, because comics, the plan works. After Thunder says some math, no, I'm not kidding, he returns to his home dimension. The issue ends pretty quickly after that, the final scene being a dinner shared by Kent and Lois Lane that's super odd, but does have the detail of Kent thinking to himself that he's thankful Thunder is out there somewhere and feeling a sense of camaraderie with the character. Some concluding thoughts? Captain Thunder confused me for years. He's clearly a Captain Marvel clone, right down to the rhyme scheme of Billy and Willie for the first name and the last name of Fawcett. However, since he debuted three-quarters of a year after the launch of Shazam number 1, I didn't understand what DC was doing at the time. That all changed when I listened to the recent interview with Jerry Ordway on Let's Talk Comics. I'll put the clip dealing with Captain Marvel up on the as-mentioned post for this episode, but listen to the most relevant section now. Have have you adjusted to it, to it being Shazam instead of Captain Marvel? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have. I mean, I don't. You know, what I mean, I don't really. Kind of like as a fan, I always liked that he was Captain Marvel, but I understand, you know, from a branding point of view. See, the reason the reason they held on to the Captain Marvel for a long time was because during that, even during the night. DC was trying to negotiate with Marvel Comics to use that, and they had negotiated the what ability the to use it on a cover. <laughs> they were allowed to use it on the cover, but they couldn't. They couldn't. It couldn't be bigger than the logo, obviously. Right. But they had. I mean, they kept trying to buy that name back. Like, and and at a certain point, it just wasn't going to happen. So. You know, I, I can understand why now they would say, okay, if we call him Captain Marvel, all we're doing is helping to promote Marvel's Captain Marvel. <laughs> you know? So, I, yeah, again, I don't own it. So I, they had an option at that point that was a perfect option they could have taken back in the 80s is uh, when Roy tried to sell him on the idea of making it Captain Thunder. And I think Captain Thunder would sound pretty cool. 
especially sounds better than Shazam. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a character. Well, and but, it's funny. Uh, it would have, it would have been incredibly shocking at the time, and we would have forgotten that it was ever something besides well, Captain he, Thunder. Now, yeah, and he, Captain Thunder was going to be a, another member of the Marvel family, but it would have been a way in to change the other names at some point if they crazy. wanted to. You know, but uh, yeah, it was a Shazam was a fun book to do, and, and uh, you know, really was like the. So Ordway says that Roy Thomas was angling to make the Captain Marvel character in the eighties. Captain Thunder. And that may in fact be true. However, in Newsarama's oral history of Captain Marvel, Elliot Magan, the writer of this tale under our gaze right now, claims that he was aiming to bring the character into the regular DC universe as Captain Thunder to get around the legal issues with the character's name. That seems a plausible scenario and instantly makes Captain Thunder much more understandable. I agree completely with Ordway. The character is named Captain Marvel. So Captain Thunder is a bad departure. However, considering that DC would later attempt to convince everyone that Captain Marvel actually goes by the wizard's name, the whole Captain Thunder scenario looks a whole lot better by comparison. I still can't believe I live in a world where the rights holder to Captain Marvel is trying to give him the wizard's name. More specifically to this issue, one... Captain Thunder as a character suffers from the change from classical mythology benefactors to the Native American hodgepodge. That's not for any reason inherent to the respective cultures, but rather the slapdash way the list of benefactors in this issue was put together. You've got a weather phenomenon, a couple animals, a great chief, a mineral, and an abstract concept all dropped into the stew, and it understandably comes across as rushed and unthoughtful. There are also some terribly goofy aspects of this comic, as well as too many narrative shortcuts. That super full Nelson isn't even the worst. That honor goes to Superman's highly dubious method of getting Thunder to change back to Fawcett in their last battle. It strikes me as lazy, and really ruins the suspension of disbelief. On the positive front, the art in this issue actually serves the reader and makes it easier to see Captain Thunder as a credible character. Swan does a nice job grounding Thunder in his world, in the Bronze Age. While the character ended up going nowhere, that wasn't because of the art. And I remain convinced that, with art similar to what we find in this issue, the Shazam relaunch, if not successful, would have greased the wheels for Captain Marvel to stay relevant to a much greater degree in this era and beyond. Truth be told, Kurt Swan's art here takes me back to a childhood, rooting through bins of musty comics and used bookstores. This issue looks like, in some ways, precisely what I'm conditioned to believe a Bronze Age comic should look like. And speaking of art, I know I'm not the first to say this, but man, has anyone ever been able to capture human facial expression more completely with few lines than Kurt Swan? One other note of interest, I thought. The Mohegan tribe, which Meriki in this story belongs to, lives in the region of Connecticut. Terrific Con is held at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut, a village named for one of Thunder's benefactors. If you visit the Terrific Con website, you will find their mascot bears more than a slight resemblance to Captain Thunder. I also found out via Twitter that Jerry Ordway will be attending Terrific Con this year, so if any of you want to sponsor my trip to Terrific Con, I'm all ears. 
Now, departing from the issue, because a lot has happened in the world of Captain Marvel fandom since the last time I posted a new episode, I wanted to talk about a few other things. First of those is how excited I am about Carl Shinyama of Twitter's Let's Talk Shazam, who was also my first guest on the podcast, launching his own blog dedicated to Captain Marvel. I thought for a while that Carl needed a home on the web that allowed for more than 140 characters at a time, and I'm glad that home is in the Shazam cast neighborhood. If you haven't already, point your browser to letstalkshazam.shazamcast.com and subscribe to the blog so you don't miss any of the top-notch Captain Marvel content Carl produces. Second, it seems that there's a recent surge in interest in the Shazam movie. The Rock shows up in public wearing a Black Adam shirt and everybody loses their mind. But maybe more significantly, yet more quietly, Umberto Gonzalez let the world know that New Line Cinema is waiting for a script to take to potential directors. I'm not sure how you read the situation with the movie, but I get the sense that it is basically The Rock driving the forward momentum on this movie. Based on what is publicly available, he seems to be chomping at the bit to get into the Black Adam character. However, based on his comments about someday being able to go at Superman or Batman, I wonder very much just what sort of movie we're going to get. To be as specific about my paranoia as possible, I'm becoming increasingly fearful that this will not be a movie about Captain Marvel or, as he's currently being called, Shazam. My suspicion is that we're going to get a Black Adam origin movie that will include a hint, maybe, in some way, that there might be a challenger in the future to Black Adam that will come from his own benefactor, something like a brief appearance of Billy Batson. Now, all of this is based on nothing more than my own anxious speculation. But considering the dark tone of the DC Cinematic Universe and the sheer overwhelming charisma of The Rock, I think it is likely that the powers that be developed this movie as a vehicle to get The Rock beating up on Superman with a Black Adam that is something of a rebellious anti-hero who can then be either a threat to the Justice League or something of an uneasy ally. Again, I freely acknowledge that all of this is based on nothing more than my suspicions, but I wanted to get them off my chest and on the record. I may write further on this in the future as well. Anyway, as you can tell, I'm not in a good place when it comes to anticipating the Shazam movie right now. I am, however, in a good place with my third point. May 4th is almost here. That means the Shazam Scooby-Doo team-up comic is about to be released, and I'm sure all of you listening are going to be picking up a copy, right? I can't wait. I'm about to wrap up, but before I go, I want to say thank you to some people for their kind iTunes reviews. First, thank you goes to Kyle Benning of the excellent Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour, which you really have to listen to if you aren't already. Next is thanks to Saya Masinko. Again, apologies if I've mispronounced that name. Also, thanks to Gene Hendricks for the review he left and pointing out in it just how much Captain Marvel has to offer beyond his relationship to Superman. And finally, thanks to the irredeemable Shag. I'm convinced Shag is something like the Johnny Appleseed of comic podcasts, and his counsel and encouragement on this project has been invaluable. Alright guys, that's it for this episode of the Shazam cast. My plan right now is to do something with the Scooby-Doo Shazam team-up issue, and from there, 
move on to the Captain Marvel origin story in 1982's DC Comic Presents number 49, featuring Superman, Shazam, and Black Adam. If you want to read along, please do. And I promise that we will talk about it, hopefully, within that two-week window I'm shooting for. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again next time on the Shazamcast.